Who wants to hear a joke this morning? I got a, I got a really good one this morning. <laughs> an 80-year-old woman was, recent, was uh, recently married to her fourth husband. The reporter who was doing the story on her questioned about the occupation of her newly acquired husband. She replied he owned a funeral home. Well, curious about the other husbands, the reporter asked what their occupations were as well. The woman paused for a while and then stated that her first husband was a banker. The second one she was madly in love with and he was a circus master. The third one was a minister. Puzzled by her answers, he replied, none of these people have anything in common. Why did you marry these four men. She stated that she married number one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. I mean, I can admit it at least. <laughs> oh, well, I have loved um, doing this series through First Timothy, and I mean, I'll be completely honest. It is not the easiest book to preach through because there are some challenging topics in here. And like we, if you were here last week, you, you begin to understand that Paul doesn't really mince words. And so it's not one of those things that can always, he doesn't have the, the gift of delivering this message extremely gently and graciously. He just tends to be a little bit blunt. And sometimes, how many know that we need you know people who are blunt in our lives sometimes? And sometimes we need God to just speak to us in a way that's like, okay, I got it, right? And uh, this last chapter in First Timothy this morning, there are some really challenging topics that we're going to be looking at. Um, you know, this morning, I was actually, I caught myself doing something stupid. Uh, anybody ever done that before? <laughs> um, no, I, it was just the silly thing. It's like, I went to go shut my cupboard, and I noticed that the the cupboard was was warped a little bit, and uh, so it was the corner of it was pulling away from from the cabinet, and I'm like frustrated because I'm like, oh man, these junky cabinets, like ah, these are garbage. I can't believe whoever put these in put them into my house, and like, what a piece of junk cabinet. And and I sat down with my coffee and I'm sitting there thinking you know here I am in a house with with more space than we will ever need as a family where heat and air conditioning work on a regular basis where there are so many things that I love about the place that I get to live and I'm here complaining about how junky my cabinets are and then I flashed back to the day before where, where I just run this half marathon and we watched a video uh, beforehand depicting what these young women, the average age is 12 or 13 for women sold into sexual slavery. And I'm thinking about it and I'm having that real moment like, okay, you know what? The cabinets are fine. Right? Because it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And, and we look at what the church was going through when Paul wrote these letters to Timothy and what they were experiencing. And, and this was the church in Rome. 
that Timothy was pastoring. And they were going through incredible persecution. And they were going through poverty. In fact, they, nobody would hire Christians because they were Christians. They were outcasts from society. They were rejected by their government. They were rejected by their society. They were rejected by those who, were, who they used to associate with in, in their previous faith, whether it was paganism or Judaism. Whatever it might be, they were rejected in every sense of the word. And they're going through this, this difficult situation. And, and Paul doesn't exactly take it easy on them. I mean, I, I would kind of be like, hey, hey, Paul, like, could we ease up a little bit? Like, these people are going through a hard time right now. But let's look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to do that. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Uh, or if you don't have a Bible this morning... There's Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. Take one of those home with you if you don't own a Bible. We'd love for you to have that. Um, but First Timothy 6, verse 1, says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now that seems like a strange thing to say. Um, first of all, let's not get things confused here. This is not Paul actually condoning slavery, all right? If you remember back to chapter 1, I know that was a long time ago, several months ago, um, he actually listed slave traders as like one of the worst groups of people in the entire world, okay? So um, he's not condoning that but understanding that the culture that he was dealing with and the challenges uh, that the church was facing, he's speaking to those who are in that position. And, you know, in reality, I mean, the, the church in these early days, these were the kind of people that would find hope in Christ because they didn't have hope in anything else. And so here's somebody who's under the oppression of slavery, and he says, you should regard your own master worthy of all honor. What? Like, you want me to regard my owner, the one who enslaves me, as worthy of all honor. Now that might be confusing, but then it gets even tougher in verse 2. It says, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. So not only is he saying, if you're in this position, you should honor the person who's enslaving you, but if they're believers, then you should actually honor them even more because they're your brother in Christ. Huh? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Rather, they must serve all the better. Since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Wow. Now, again, I don't want us to get this confused. This is not Paul endorsing slavery. 
But this is a common message that he gives over and over throughout Scripture in that no matter what situation we are in, we find contentment. And he picked this example because these people were going through something that was worse than anybody else at that time. He said, those of you who are in the worst situation, even in that instance, even in the worst possible scenario, you're to give honor to those who are in authority over you. Then he says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. Now, what was the teaching of Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said this, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. So one of the key things that Jesus taught us is to be willing to lay our lives down, lay our rights down, and even our opinions. Because we're not opinionated people at all, are we? We don't have strong feelings about things. I mean, especially not political issues. We, We don't care about that so much, right? That doesn't get us worked up at all, right? Can I say something a little bit blunt? Your political opinions are not as important as your commitment to Jesus Christ. And if your political opinions are preventing you from reaching people with the gospel, then it's time to lay those babies down. And the same thing goes for whatever you feel so strongly about. In fact, there was an example in 1 Corinthians. When Paul was writing to that church, there was this issue where uh, the believers were eating this food that was sacrificed to idols. And they're like, well, listen, we're poor and we're starving, and they're putting this food and giving it to idols who are not going to consume it, and it's just going to go bad, so we might as well eat it. Now, how many would say that sounds pretty logical, right? That makes sense. But what did Paul say? He said, whatever it takes to reach them, we're going to do it. And if that means refraining from eating that food, that food is not more important than the message of the gospel. And sometimes as believers, we have to lay down what we believe in. Not that we change our beliefs, You don't have to change your beliefs. You just have to be willing to not hold them in such high regard that it causes you to miss an opportunity to point someone to Christ. Because that is what we're here on this earth for. So if anyone teaches doctrine, and this is Paul kind of giving his final instructions to Timothy, and so he's he's a teacher, and so he's saying... This is important, sound doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And if anyone rejects that, he's puffed up with conceit, he understands nothing. Again, blunt, right? He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words, which produce envy, 
dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. What happens is when people are missing the truth of the gospel message, and when they don't have a firm understanding of what it means to be a believer, and they're not grounded in the word of God, then they're easily dissuaded. And so when you allow people who don't have an understanding of that submission to Jesus Christ to speak into their life, then it causes this chaotic effect. And all those people are manipulated and misled and confused as a result. So it's so important that we guard what we say. Um, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Finding contentment in godliness. Finding contentment in who you are in Christ rather than what you have in your bank account, rather than the things that you own, rather than even the family members that you have or the friendships that you have. All of those things are secondary to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And when you have godliness, you have contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, it's reasonable. You need those two things. If we have food and we have clothing, we can be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, I believe something with all my heart. It is okay for you to want to be successful in your career, in your business, whatever you choose to do for your living, and to want to make a lot of money as long as the motivation of your heart is right. If you're doing it so that people will be impressed with how great you are, guess what? You're going to be miserable. But if, for example, you're saying, I want to make a lot of money so that I can be generous and make a difference in this world and send missionaries around the world and invest in my church and invest in people who are making a difference, and and that's my way of, of building the kingdom of God, then by all means, go for it. Go for it. We encourage you to do that. It, it comes down to whether it's a selfish motivation or whether it's a generous mentality. Um, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, this verse is quoted a lot, and usually it's taken out of context. Um, and we're, we're trying to look at it and understand it as it r- relates to what Paul is saying to this church. First of all, people say, well, money is the root of all evil. Well, it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, when money is elevated to a position in your life higher than Jesus Christ, it becomes an evil thing. It becomes an idol. It's probably the greatest idol 
in our country today. We worship money. And because it's so important to us, then everything that we do is dictated based on how much money we have as a result or how many things that we can buy. And when anything is elevated to a position that's higher than our relationship for Jesus Christ, it becomes evil. It doesn't matter what it is. Because God's command to us is, you shall have no gods before me. So anything that's elevated over that level of desire becomes a god. Um, So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice it doesn't say that they find fulfillment and happiness and joy in their wealth. Because no matter how much money you have, you always want more. If your contentment is based on acquiring wealth, but if your contentment is in Christ, then it doesn't matter how little money you have, you have contentment. And here's... uh, This is kind of part two of the passage here, starting in verse 11. I love this, and I'm going to just read through it, and then we'll come back. It says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called, in which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And as for this, the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. It's an investment plan right here. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from their faith. Grace be with you. So a couple things that I want to go back there. He says, O man of God, flee these things, which we just talked about, the pursuit of um, the love of money. And then it says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
when you're focused on the right things, you don't have to worry about not doing the wrong things. Uh, I found this a, a real simple illustration of this is by the way that that we eat, right? Like we know that we're not supposed to eat junk food, right? Like Cheetos are not a health food, okay? But Cheetos taste good. And so when you're at home alone and you're feeling a little bit hungry and you have the option of opening that refrigerator and getting out the kale or opening the cupboard and grabbing that bag of Cheetos, we all know what you're going to do, right? Because you're empty and you're going to want to go for that thing that tastes good, that gives you that satisfaction in that moment. But if you fill yourself with good things, then you won't be hungry for things that will provide no, or maybe a temporary satisfaction, but eternal problems, right? Same thing goes with pursuing Christ. When we pursue righteousness, when we pursue faith, when we pursue the things of God, we don't have to sit there and worry about the fact that we might sin. Can I tell you something? I'm far less likely to commit a sin when I'm doing my devotions in the morning. And I don't mean like for the whole day. I mean like literally when I'm doing my devotions. Like when I'm reading God's word and listening to his voice, I am far less likely to sin in that moment because I'm full of the goodness of God. And I don't desire the emptiness of what the world has to offer. So guys, we got to fill up on the goodness of God. We have to fill up on the pursuit of righteousness so that the, the emptiness of sin and its desires does not hold any power over our life to, to, to dissuade us. We need to be hungry for good things. Fight the good fight of faith. Oh, and by the way, just like with food, when you start eating healthier, your appetite begins to change. In the same way, when you fill your life with the righteousness of God, you start to get hungry for things that will actually give you benefit rather than the bag of Cheetos, the spiritual bag of Cheetos. I don't know what that is, but if somebody gives me a good analogy, I'd appreciate that for next week. Okay. Um, so pursue these good things. And then he says, I, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and, and Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pilate made the good confession. Uh, so he says, take hold of the life that you're called and the good confession that you made. In other words, being a believer is not a private matter. Okay, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you, when you acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, um, that's why we do things like a baptism service, because that's a public confession, a public profession of the faith that is in your heart. When you're a believer, there's no such thing as a secret believer. All right? So your life should actually reflect and demonstrate the faith that is inside your heart. And Paul is saying, just like Jesus lived out his faith in front of Pontius Pilate, now the profession that you've made carries on throughout your life. Your testimony is making a difference by the way that you live and by the words that you say. 
It's not a private matter. It's a public issue. And then he talks about the rich. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I don't have to listen to this part. This doesn't apply to me because I'm broke, right? Can I tell you something here? If you make $20,000 a year as a household, you're in the top 10 income earners in the world. Top 10%, not 10, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> no, the top 10% in the entire world. We are wealthy people, and God has entrusted us with a lot. Let's be faithful with that. And so his instructions that he gives to those people are instructions that we ought to follow. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. In other words, don't live for your money. Right? But be willing to hold it in a hand loosely. Right? If you have kids, you already understand that principle. They're always taking money out of your wallet. Right? Like, I mean... Dad, can I have $20? Like, I'm, my eight-year-old asked me that the other day. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're eight. <laughs> she, she actually came the other day. I was, I had just finished doing some yard work, and I was taking a shower. And, and so she yelled through the door. I was in the bathroom. She goes, Dad, I just took some cash out of your wallet. I'm going to the splash pad. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what in the world? <laughs> we hold our money loosely as parents because it's just, you know, in one hand and out the other, right? Well, guess what? God has entrusted you with something. Hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. That $4 was, was money well spent at the splash pad. She had a great time. The money that you give and that you entrust to building God's kingdom will be a blessing for your life. You can either worship it or you can worship God, but you can't worship both. So for the wealthy this morning, and, and there may be various levels of that even represented here in this church, if God has blessed you, then recognize that that blessing comes from him, that it you worked hard, sure, but... You don't deserve any of it. In fact, what you deserve is, is hell and condemnation like everybody else. But Jesus, in his grace and mercy, gave us everything. Shouldn't we be willing to be generous as well? So, Timothy, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Avoid the babble of contradictions for professing it by some have swerved from the faith. If we focus on Jesus and who he is and keep our eyes attentive to him and his direction, we will not find ourselves straying down the wrong path. And ask the worship team to come at this time. And, and this morning, I, you know, I want to appeal to your heart in the sense that contentment is only found in the trust of our Father. As you learn to rely on Him, no matter what situation you're in, as you learn to trust Him in everything, 
I am confident that God will give you the ability to walk out the life that he's intended for you. And whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you can find joy in that situation. I shared this with our volunteer teams this morning in our huddle. But we often quote the verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And isn't that an awesome verse? I mean, you put that on a t-shirt, right? And, and that is the God that we serve, that we can accomplish amazing things because of what he's done. But I think we do ourselves a disservice sometimes by taking that one phrase and removing it from the passage that it's in. Paul was writing this letter, by the way, from prison. And he says in that same chapter that I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, whatever I'm going through, even being in, imprisoned, that I've learned to be content. Therefore, I can, maybe the better word would be, Endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. There is nothing that you are facing today that you can't face with joy in your heart because of the hope that Jesus Christ has given you.